You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust. But that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. The Hoosiers still have a lot of home dates left on the schedule. Each one of those games is going to be really important as the Hoosiers look to get their season turned around and stay on track for an NCAA tournament berth, home dates against Michigan State, Purdue, Iowa, others. SeatGeek will be the best place for you to find the best prices, the best values on tickets for those games. So make sure you check them out. And SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. That's why I use SeatGeek. They search multiple ticket sites. They grade every ticket based on value, and that's how SeatGeek helps you to immediately identify the best seat that fits your budget, and every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Do what I do. Get the SeatGeek app on your phone. It's the easiest way I have found to shop for tickets, whether it be sports tickets, concert tickets, any type of live event tickets. SeatGeek is the best place to do it. Their app is great. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 13th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 475th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, January 28th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. So it has been another week in which banner moments have been difficult to come by, obviously. But I had a helpful realization while watching Archie's press conference after Friday night's debacle against Michigan. One comment in particular that he made really stuck out to me. Here's the comment. Quote, I take great pride in looking back on how I would feel as a player right now. And what would I want from my coaches right now? And the bottom line is that I would just want somebody that would just work it. Just work me, man. Just get me better. Find a way to do that. That's what I would want. I would want to be with my staff. I would want to be on the floor right now working. That feeling doesn't go away until you work it out. That's what we've got to give to them, unquote. And the reason this comment struck me is because it paints a pretty clear picture of the kind of player that is going to succeed under Archie Miller, a grinder, a gym rat, a person who probably burns hotter after a loss than they glow coolly after a win. In other words, a person whose fallback solution to tough times or a crisis of confidence is to work their way back into playing better and feeling better. 
It's not to say that Archie isn't interested in the psychology of his players. I'm certain he is. But it seems clear that he believes physical basketball work is the best, best path to building basketball confidence and improving whatever psychological barriers may be impeding progress. Agree or disagree, if that's his approach, then he's going to be more successful with players who share that approach. Now, I don't know enough about the current players on our team and their individual habits and personalities to tell you one way or the other who fits this description and who doesn't, so I won't even guess. But I do believe that the trying times Indiana is going through right now will undoubtedly reveal the presence or absence of these traits. Those who have them, the grinders, the gym rats, the workers, will end up being important parts of the solution that help Indiana emerge from this dark cloud. Those who don't, won't. And while there is no way to paint this devastating losing streak as anything but an abject disaster, it is possible for something good to come out of it if this experience ends up helping Archie solidify the long-term foundation of the program he's trying to build. Unfortunate as it may be, he has the opportunity right now to find out which players share his mindset and which ones don't, to find out who is on his page and who isn't. And he has an important opportunity as a young coach to help a team work through a crisis of confidence to try to get a once-promising season back on track. Whether he succeeds in doing it or not this season, my hope and expectation is that he will learn important lessons that will make him a better coach moving forward. Even the harshest of Archie's current critics hope that he's the coach at Indiana for a long, long time. Well, the vast majority of them anyway, because that will mean that this month has been nothing but a speed bump on the path towards success. To be fair, it's been a pretty rough speed bump, one that seems to have thrown the entire car out of alignment, so no matter how much success Archie has moving forward, this month seems destined to always be part of his IU narrative. What he and his players learn about each other, and the lessons Archie learns as a young coach, will go a long way toward determining whether that narrative is one with a happy ending after many, many, many chapters, or whether it's a short story that ends long before anyone wants. Trying times are hard to go through, but they sure do teach us a lot about ourselves and others. I look forward to finding out what lessons we learn about this team and this coach, because regardless of what they are, they are lessons that will inform the future direction of Indiana basketball. All righty. Well, it is just me on the mailbag today here on Banner Monday. Ryan has radio duty, um, and so over uh, in San Diego. So our schedules did not align to record early, uh, but I will be here to answer questions for about the next 20 minutes or so. And then, as we always do, Mike DeCourcy will be here to talk IU and to take a look around the Big Ten. And then Josh Wilson is going to be here to help me preview IU Rutgers. And let me preview our preview of IU Rutgers, because I've been digging into Rutgers this is going to be a tricky matchup. This is probably the the best, most confident Rutgers team that we've seen since they joined the Big Ten. It's going to be a tricky, tricky road test for Indiana. It would have been tricky if Indiana was playing well, given how the Hoosiers are playing. Sometimes you know, I do the research for these previews and I feel better afterwards. I did not after doing the research for this one. So maybe it's just kind of general pessimism that is taking over after a six-game losing streak. But it's going to be a tough one. Um, and then, of course, remember that Basketball 201 now on Tuesdays. So we'll have that tomorrow afternoon uh, with Ben Ladner. And finally, before we get into the mailbag questions, I'll just remind you uh, that when you need to use tickets, go to SeatGeek, uh, use the URL iutickets.shop and the promo code ASSEMBLY. Uh, and you'll get uh, $10 off your first purchase. And at SeatGeek, you always get the best prices uh, on tickets and the best value. So go there, check them out, iutickets.shop. All right, and uh, awesome to see uh, those of you who are here live. Um, it's, uh, you know, we, we, have, we have fewer <laughs> fewer live visitors, uh, live viewers now on Mondays. Uh, but those of you who are here, the loyalists, just know that I really, really appreciate it. Um, okay, so let's hit the mailbag here. 
uh, from Jonathan. I understand that Virginia has fully built their system and has the athleticism, depth, and talent to run the pack line the way Bennett wants. But watching them play the defense using skills like jumping straight up with verticality, the seamless rotations they make once they get out of a double team, the way they switch up, how they defend screens. What does it take to get there? Is it as simple as depth or talent or athleticism? How are we not seeing glimpses of these skills, even if it's not consistent? The first thing that I would say to this, Jonathan, is I do think, certainly not as many recently, but we were seeing glimpses glimpses of these skills earlier in the season. Like You saw some brilliant rotations. You saw a team that was really connected at times defensively and that played elite basketball at times defensively. Those are certainly, you know, fewer and further between now. And most of them are in the rear view as this team has just completely lost confidence both on the offensive end and on the defensive end. And they just don't have the same connectedness, you know, and there are all kinds of reasons for that, which we've talked about. But, you know, what I would say about, you know, Virginia, I, I think the first thing to under two things that are really important to understand you know, what does it take to get there? Well, number one, it's going to take more time. A defense like the pack line is going to take time for a coach to install, to build a foundation with players who are in the system for a while. So let me give you a few numbers that illustrate this. Tony Bennett took over at Virginia in 2010. All right. That season, Virginia's adjusted defensive efficiency was 97.2. All right. That was 71st in the country. They went 15 and 16 that year. Tony Bennett's second season, 2011, their adjusted defensive efficiency was 98. So it actually got a little bit worse. And it was 71st in the country. So in terms of the ranking, it was the same. They were 16 and 15 that year. So those first two seasons, you know, very stagnant. All right. 2012, they moved up. They were fifth. Their their adjusted defensive efficiency was 89.3. They improved to 22 and 10. The next season, they dropped back to 25th. At, uh, uh, with an adjusted defense efficiency of 92. And then from 2014 through today, they have never been worse than seventh in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. But you see, those first two years were difficult, and there was even a bit of a step back in the fourth year. So it does take some time. You know, look at what Indiana's already done with Archie Miller. He comes in in 2018. The adjusted defensive efficiency is 99. That was 65th in the country. And offense, it's easier to score now than it was in 2010. So even though it's a worse, you know, raw number, the ranking is better. And this year, while Indiana's defense has been inconsistent, the adjusted defensive efficiency is 94.4, which is 41st in the country. I mean, that right there is already better than where Virginia was at the same time. Now, I am not saying that Indiana under Archie Miller will become Virginia because whenever this comparison comes out, you know, to a certain extent, it's like comparing a basketball player to LeBron, you know, if you're trying to compare a college defense to Virginia. I mean, they're the best. They are the most consistent. So, you know, Look, if Archie can build a defense like what Tony Bennett has, that would be phenomenal. And that's a great bar to shoot for, but just understand when you make that comparison that you're talking about, you know, the son of the guy who, <laughs> you know, who created this defense and who teaches it and coaches it better than than anybody else. So just understand that. And the other thing to remember, and Jonathan points this out, is, you know, depth, talent, and athleticism. Yes, you need all of those things. And Indiana doesn't have that right now. You know, you need good individual defenders. I thought it was so instructive. We talked with uh, with Dylan Burkhart um, of UM Hoops about Michigan and their improved defense. And so much has been made of, you know, Luke Yaklich and this new system that they have and all of that. And Dylan's like, yeah, you know, all that stuff is good. They also have some just great individual defenders. Xavier Simpson is a great individual defender. Charles Matthews, a great individual defender. You know, look at what Virginia has. They have guys like DeAndre Hunter who are NBA-level talents and great individual defenders. 
And so it's all these things. It's you know building the system. It's having a foundation for the system. And then it's recruiting the players that fit that system and allowing them to get old in the system. And we are so young in that process with Archie Miller right now. But you know, you hired a coach that has this defensive philosophy. You have to commit to it and give it time to see. If you're going to judge it a year and a half in, you might as well have not even let him come in and try and stall it anyway because it was going to take a while. So you know, the answer to your question is I think it takes all of those things, Jonathan, and I think we have to be patient. And I think when you see you know, some of the recruits that Archie has brought in, guys like Jerome Hunter, guys like Race Thompson, uh, you know, so, you know, a guy like Armand Franklin, he's bringing in guys that fit that system better than the existing players that were here. And that's important. And now we're going to have to see how they grow into that. So really good question, um, Jonathan. And hopefully, you know, going back to those initial numbers that Virginia had, make Indiana fans feel at least a little bit better uh, about, uh, about the progress that, uh, that is being made despite the clear steps back uh, over the last month. So Jeff asked, why is Evan Fitzner playing? Why is he still playing? Is he really a better option off the bench than Clifton Moore or Jake Forrester? Well, if you listen to the postgame show, you know that I felt that Clifton Moore should have gotten at least some time against Michigan. You know, so I would have liked to see that. I think he'll have to play against Rutgers, and we'll get to that in our preview because they're so big. The two reasons why I think Evan Fitzner continues to play and will continue to play, certainly as long as Deron Davis is out, number one is shooting. I know he hasn't been making shots. But he's capable of it, and this team has such a dearth of shooting that if a guy seems to have a pulse behind the three-point line, he's going to get some time. And so, at a minimum, having Evan out on the court helps to space the floor. You know, he's got a little bit of gravity because people know that he can shoot, and so that's going to help open things up. And the fact of the matter is, and you know, this isn't a you know great for our defense. But he right now may be the most consistent defender we have in terms of the big guys at recognizing and defending ball screens. Now, he's a little bit slow in his movements, but in terms of recognizing you know, when a ball screen is happening, that he needs to get out and hedge and do some of those things, I think he has better recognition, even at times, than Juwan does. So I think that's probably why he's playing. Um, you know, I think Clifton has gotten better in that area. I haven't really seen enough of Jake um, to know but I think those are the reasons why he's playing. I think it's you know it's defensible at this point, you know, given that the team needs shooting and that and that so many players have been inconsistent defensively. But I would also like to see a guy like Clifton get some time in there, you know. And at some point, if Evan just doesn't you know make another three or get going from back there, maybe that changes. But right now, just understand how limited Archie is in terms of options on the bench. And he tried to give Demise some more playing time, you know, in that Michigan game. Um, you know, and I think for matchup purposes, it was, you know, maybe harder to get Clifton and Jake in there, but I think they'll get time against Rutgers. And so we'll have to see uh, how they do at that time. Um, another question from the community. What do you guys think about roster makeup going forward? Our senior leaders will be Devontae and Duran if they're even still in the program. Um, recruiting by the previous regime and defections to the NBA have really hurt this roster. They have. I don't want to spend too much time on this because so much can change between today and the start of next season. You know, recruits, you know, does Indiana get Keon Brooks or some other recruit? You know, what kind of transfers happen? Does Indiana have guys transfer out, which, you know, wouldn't shock me. Uh, you know, I wouldn't speculate on individuals, but just that general concept of could guys transfer out? You know, sure, it's the second year of a new coach and, you know, you've had kind of a rough season. Wouldn't be shocking at all. But then who transfers in? Either a grad transfer or, you know, maybe some other transfer because a lot of guys would be be available. 
you know, but if you look at it just in terms of what you would project right now, based on the guys that are here, you know, you would have ball handlers that include Devontae Green, Al Durham, Rob Finnessy, and Armand Franklin. Your wings would be Justin Smith, Jerome Hunter, and Demise Anderson. And then your bigs are Clifton Moore, Jake Forrester, Race Thompson, Trace Jackson Davis, and Deron Davis. You might be able to, you know, to call Race a wing because um, I know he can kind of pick and pop and shoot a little bit, but it's kind of tough because we haven't really seen him play. You know, but I think when you look at that, you know, it's a roster that has some size. It's a roster that has some athletic ability, but clearly you're going to have to replace your go-to scoring because you don't have Romeo and Juwan. And so that's going to be the big question. You know, you know the scoring is going to be more balanced, but do you have kind of a go-to score? You know, and, and I think the real linchpin there, if you just look at the roster, you know, as we're talking about right now, would be a guy like Jerome Hunter. You know, can he be a legit scoring wing, assuming he's healthy, assuming he's ready to play? Can he step into a role like that? You know, he would be a huge X factor um, in that lineup. And then you would need guys like Devontae and Al and Rob to, you know, to pick up the scoring, shoot a little bit more consistently. And then Trace Jackson Davis would have to come in uh, and be able to play a key role right off the bat. And hopefully you can get a guy like Duran healthy and get his post scoring back. But again, it's so early. I mean, you know, some of those guys could transfer out, other guys in. So I don't want to get into it too much, like I said. But, you know, I like a lot of the individual pieces there. And I think it's a team that could coalesce and be much more balanced and thus, you know, kind of less predictable offensively. Um, but you'd also need shooting you know you would need al to become an even better shooter you know armand jerome demisi race can they add to the shooting of that team because we see this year uh you know just how much not having shooting hurts so it's always kind of interesting to look ahead like that but there are still so many answers that we have to get before we can accurately project forward um okay let me just make sure get that window open so i can see when mike de gets here uh <clears throat> so a couple questions from jeffrey he says, why are we halfway through the season having to address this team's toughness? I would say because we have a lot of individual players who aren't that tough. You know, I don't know that it gets a whole lot more complicated than that. You know, and I think sometimes you can have a collective toughness as a team. And I thought Indiana had that for a time this season. But as the injuries have mounted and guys have had to play more minutes and the chemistry and the cohesion has eroded, you know, that's really a time where, look, you've got to make things up with hustle plays and with toughness, you know, both physical and mental. And I think we've just seen that Indiana isn't filled with a lot of those guys right now. And look, and they just don't have a whole lot of experienced guys that are providing consistent leadership. So you're asking for a lot of freshmen to be doing that. And freshmen typically don't come in with a lot of medical, mental and physical toughness right away. They may have some, but it sometimes takes a little while to develop that or for that to manifest itself. So I think that's why we're having to address this. And I think when you add up all of the factors that have gone into this season, it kind of makes some sense. It's certainly something that Archie seems peeved with and not okay with. And you would have to think that as he recruits and builds the program further, he's not going to want that to be an issue. But it's been an issue in this program for a while now, and it clearly hasn't been fixed. And so there's you know accountability that can go in a lot of different ways there. But I think ultimately it boils down to, you know if you want to have a tough team, you know, you've got to have tough individual players. And that starts with recruiting the right guys that fit your personality and your system as a coach. To me, I think we've got to give Archie some more time to do that. Now, I would like to see Archie do, you know, I'm not in practice. So all we see are the, you know, the 5% of, of what happens overall, which we see at the game. I would like to see him, you know, bench a guy who's not running and do some of that stuff as much as the next guy. 
But I think we also have to remember again that the options are much more limited this season with what he can do. And yes, at some point there comes a time when you just have to say, hey, I'm just going to put in some guys that are going to play hard to send a message. You know, are we at that point? I, you know, I don't know. If we if we get off to a start like we do, you know, like we have been against Rutgers, I would kind of like to see him do a Greg Popovich and just, you know, call a timeout right away. More to just kind of rally the guys and get them on the same page than, you know, just to, you know, just to chew them out or yell at them. Um, but that's what I would say. I mean, I think you've, you've just got to have tough individuals. I think we do have a tough coach. I think we do have a tough-minded coach. Um, so I'll be a lot more concerned if this is happening in two and a half years um, as opposed to being concerned about it right now. I'm concerned about it right now, but I don't think it necessarily means it'll be that way for the entire time Archie is here. And then another question from Jeffrey. Recently read an article by a sports writer that posited it was not a good thing that IU beat Marquette because it created unrealistic fan expectations for this team. What's your take? My take is that that's ludicrous. Um, yes, that Marquette win was phenomenal, and maybe it did inflate expectations a little bit. Fine. I mean, you know, that win also is, you know, one of the only things that allows Indiana to, you know, barely grasp an NCAA tournament spot right now. You know, that win and the margin of victory is helping Indiana in the net because it's helping the raw efficiency margin. You know, that win is helping to prop up some of the computer numbers because Marquette is so good. So, yeah, I, I, Rob Doster, I think, wrote that. And, I, like, I get what he's saying. Like, it, you know, there were a lot of things that probably created unrealistic expectations. That would be like saying, you know, having, four, you know, having healthy guys entering practice created unrealistic expectations because we weren't going to have all our guys for the season. Well, yeah, a lot of projections for this team were made thinking Jerome Hunter would be a key player off the bench and Race Thompson could come in and spell Deron Davis or, or spell Juwan Morgan and Deron Davis could be a scorer off the bench and Devontae Green would progress. Like, you know, none of those things happened, you know. So, you know, I don't, I don't really buy that because I think at different points in time, there have been different expectations and maybe you can say they were a little unrealistic, but they, you know, they felt reasonable at the time. But let's also take into account that things have happened beyond just the team's play being bad. Like there have been reasons for that that have been out of the players or coaches' control. I don't think the players and coaches have done enough with the things they can control. Control your controllables, as uh, as Coach Tonsoni likes to say. But there are also things that have been out of their control, and I think those have caused much more of an issue than IU beating Marquette and fans getting excited about you know their talented team in the new season. So that's what I would say. And I certainly would not give that win back because if we do get this thing turned around and start winning some games, that's going to be one of the wins that can get us into the NCAA tournament. So the other thing that I wanted to, to share with you is just something from Coach that he sent me via email, and I asked him if I could share it, and he said yes. And Coach will you know, occasionally just send me these emails with his thoughts, and I always appreciate getting them. Uh, and this came on the heels of being at the Michigan State-Purdue game. And so, so let me just read out some of what Coach said. He said, The preseason outlook for IU included a full roster. Thompson and Hunter would have helped this team tremendously. The injuries have prevented growth of the team as a whole. After covering Michigan State versus Purdue, I realized that our current roster, in terms of players who are healthy and available to play, are not on their level from a depth and talent standpoint, meaning not on Michigan State and Purdue's level. Purdue's bench goes 9-10 deep in the first half to build the lead. Michigan State, facing injuries itself, had to play three post players, but all those guys have been in the program. They're experienced players. Izzo said after the game, quote, my freshmen needed diapers today, unquote. Young talent gets exposed in tough environments. We have three players who can be consistently counted on when healthy, and two of them are freshmen. 
McRoberts and Smith are not playing at the level needed or that they've shown uh, that, you know, they haven't been able to reach that high level consistently. Devontae did not make the progress. You know, everyone was looking for. Duran has obviously been injured. Fitzner struggling with a shot. Durham, a nice piece who's improving, but hasn't yet emerged as a huge difference maker. Trying to win consistently on the road in the Big Ten takes players and depth. Izzo again stated that his team is fatigued after four road games in five. Purdue plays nine guys. They all contribute. The analysis of Archie should not be how bad he has been during the six-game losing streak, but how good he is to have squeezed out some good wins while dealing with a struggling roster. And I think a lot of that makes sense. So, um, you know, wise words as always from Coach. The other thing he said is, another item, both teams last night shot less than 40%. Uh, from two, but shot better from three-point range. The lane is tough to score in versus Big Ten teams. Hence, when Romeo and Morgan need to score at the rim, it becomes difficult. This team is basically Minnesota from last year, expected to be top four, uh, but simply destroyed by injuries. And Minnesota last year had a guy like Nate Mason, but he couldn't do it all himself. And so, you know, a lot of things are contributing to this, and I understand the frustration and all of that. But look, I just think if you're not willing to view this season with nuance and if you're not willing to challenge yourself to really see the difference between ex- or, or explanations and excuses then I think you're just taking a lazy view and you're looking for a simplistic answer that if you want that to lead to you know some kind of reasonable solution moving forward it won't so you got to take all those things into account when you view this um, and obviously hopefully things improve and hopefully things get better Um, But there are a lot of legit reasons why things have gone as they have. What I want to see and what I think we all want to see is for the team to do better at controlling the things they can control, the consistency of their effort, their focus, some of those things, and trying to figure out a way collectively to get more of that toughness that Jeffrey was alluding to and to figure out a way to improve their confidence. Because this is not a good shooting team, but it's not just a you know, close your eyes and, and, and start praying shooting team. Like they've got some shooters. They're better than what they've been. Now we just want to start seeing it. Even if they're going to lose to some good teams, which they will, you know, at least go out there and play to where it looks like, right. You know what? They played really hard. They played well. They did some of the things they wanted to do, but because of these limitations, this other team was better and they won. That I think has been the most frustrating part about these losses is it's like, man, yeah, some of these teams are probably better than us, but we didn't even give it a chance. Like, we didn't even compete. And that, I think, is the biggest thing over the second half of the season that we all want to see. So, hopefully, that is what we see. Um, all right, let's move on here. Coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy from BTN and the Sporting News. We will get his thoughts on the many issues plaguing Indiana, which ones are fixable, which ones aren't. And then we'll talk about the surging boilermakers. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. There's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. Nice to be back. So, since we last talked, this is becoming a routine here. Two more losses for Indiana. The losing streak now at six games. Obviously, a litany of issues have contributed to this. So, I want to get your take 
on which of the issues you think are fixable um, and which ones just kind of need to be accepted as deficiencies that this team probably isn't going to move past the rest of the season? Well, I, I think the, the, the first question, the, the, the biggest problem they have is that they're too small. And and that I don't know if it's fixable because I don't know Deron Davis's prognosis. Uh, and, and it doesn't appear that anyone else on the bench who has been out injured, who has size, is either ready to is ready to make a contribution either physically or from a basketball standpoint. So from I, I don't I don't expect that it's super fixable. I hope that it's fixable because I'd love to see Duran get to finish the year for his sake. And, and obviously uh, you, you want to see all the teams in the conference and all the teams in the country play at full strength. Uh, I don't want to, I, I want every player to be healthy. So, uh, so I hope that that can be fixed, but the impact of that issue on the Hoosiers is obvious. I mean, I, I just got done looking it up. They're 11th in the league in rebound margin. And a lot of people don't like that stat, but I think it tells a lot. And, uh, I, 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 I understand that there are variables that affect it, but if you're not rebounding, if you're get, if you're ranked 11th in this league in rebounding, you're not rebounding. And if the reason they're not rebounding is because they're too small and, and that's, you know, you you have a, a, a very capable player in Jawan Morgan who at, in the right matchup can function as a center and really bother certain teams. But when he's had to do it as a steady diet with no relief and essentially no backup for for basically the entire losing streak, it doesn't work. It's too much to ask of him, and he becomes less effective at the things he does well. So, what do you think are some issues? Are, are some issues the team is facing that that are fixable? That they might be able to get better at. Well, I think first, I think the biggest issue with this team as it's constituted now, beyond what you know, what I just mentioned, is that they can't shoot. And I, I understand why Arch puts Zach McRoberts out in the starting lineup. And part of it is that uh, when you, if you don't start a guy like him, who is an energy guy, who's a defender, uh, who's a possession, gets you extra possessions and things like that. If you don't start him, sometimes you like, you don't know where to put him in. I mean, there aren't a lot of situations that call for a guy who's a non-scorer. Usually you like to bring something off the bench uh, that, that, you know, that can give you some pop. Well, I don't think that's working for the Hoosiers. I think teams, I think other teams in this league look at their scout and say, this is an easy team to guard. We don't have to worry about anybody making shots except maybe the point guard. So we don't, so we make sure we don't rotate too far off of him during that, when they're running their offense and the center who very, very rarely goes out there because it's hard to run an offense when your biggest guy is 20 feet from the goal. It's not impossible on certain sets, certainly on, on pick and pops, you could do that. But it's, it's not common that you take all of your players out of the post. And, and so, so you're starting three perimeter players. You're, you're the primary offensive weapons on most teams in terms of perimeter scoring, in terms of deep shooting. You're, you're two wings and you're, and you're, and you're nominal. You know, you're, you're the guy who should be a stretch four. Uh, especially since he's a guy like Justin, who is not a big power guy, uh, who's going to grab rebounds. He's a, he's a dynamic player. So he should be a stretch four. All three of them are shooting in the two hundreds from three point range. The highest is Justin at two sixty seven. The other two are shooting 200 that's sack and two eleven. That's Romeo. 
You can't, they're the easiest team in the league to guard right now at that, with that lineup. It's no wonder they get off the slow starts because everybody just sags and, and, and make sure that Romeo doesn't have driving lanes. And like I said, you, you have to make sure the ball doesn't rotate back to Rob open. If you're a defensive team, that's not that hard to do when you don't have to worry about anybody else hurting you with a shot. And so that, so they become easy to guard in that lineup. I, I think they have to make a move to Al Durham in the starting lineup. I, I understand you want to bring something off the bench, but you can't start all these games in a hole and you can't run good offense from the jump. If you have three non-shooters on the perimeter, it's, I just don't see how it's feasible. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree that that was uh, that was supposed to be the issues that were fixable. <laughs> well, I, I, I the, the fix for now is you put Al in the starting lineup, and at least yeah. at the start of the game, you have a threat. You put Al in the starting lineup, and then you have a threat that can draw some attention away from Romeo on the opposite side. And if you do that, then Romeo has some opportunity to do what he does, really, literally, as well as anybody in the country. Romeo is as good at driving the basketball and finishing plays as any player in college basketball. They may be the exception of RJ Barrett because RJ is a little bit better. You know, RJ is better at initiating his drives, but in terms of once he gets a spot and he's on the move, there isn't anybody better than Romeo Langford, but Romeo's not getting those lanes now because nobody has to give them to them because nobody's worried about the opposite wing. Yeah. So you did an episode of Big Ten Basketball and Beyond uh, last night, Sunday night, and your parting shot felt like it was spoken directly to IU fans. That's how I took it when I watched it. <laughs> Do you want to, will you just kind of rehash what you said? Because I think it, it's a message I think IU fans have heard. Some are probably sick of hearing it because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, they've made up their mind about this season and this coach, you know, and then they're just choosing to be negative about it. But I think it's an important one. The most open minded IU fans will appreciate. It was, uh, you know, and, and what was funny about it was at the time I came up with it, it was inspired by a Facebook post from my friend Kent Sterling in which he declared that people need to be patient, essentially. And one of his Facebook friends who I don't know responded with a, you know, with a, with sort of like coming back at, you know, I think we deserve better. I think we can, you know, we deserve be not better coach necessarily, but better basketball. And I took it to be maybe a little bit more in, of, of, an, of a sign of impatience than maybe the person intended. And, but it triggered in me the memory of coach K in year three. Uh, and remember that's year three, not year two, year three, uh, Duke went 11 and 17. I believe the season was 1982, 83 was his third year. And they went 11 and 17 and they lost 109 to 66 in their only ACC tournament game against Virginia and Ralph Sampson. And, and he thought a lot of people thought he was going to get fired and he wasn't certain. And this is all recounted in John Feinstein's excellent book. That I highly recommend called the legends club. It's about Valvano Smith and, and Krzyzewski in that period. And he thought there was a possibility he was going to be fired. And he got called into Tom Butters, the athletic director's office. And Tom was the one who had discovered Mike at Army and really believed in him. And, of course, Mike had recruited Johnny Dawkins and Jay Billis and Mark Allery. Uh, and, that, and, and they were a very highly regarded recruiting class at that point. And, but they, I believe they were only sophomores in, at that juncture of their careers. And they got hammered. And, you know, Jay Billis still likes to tell stories about him getting punked by uh, Ralph Sampson and what it was like to guard him. Uh, and so instead of getting 
a pink slip when he got walked into Butter's office, which he thought was possible. He was handed a contract extension. And as I recall it, I don't know whether he broke down in tears at that moment or later did or whatever, but it really moved him that Butters had that much faith in him. And the next year they make the tournament. I think uh, a year after that, they're in the final four and this close to winning the national championship. And we know what the history is now. They made, I believe, seven of nine final fours from between 86 and 94. And he's won a thousand games, five championships and all that. And I'm not promising any of that or all of that, certainly to Indiana fans, but I'm saying that you don't get to where you want to go in a year and a half. It doesn't happen. It it, it happened at Kentucky for one simple reason. John Calipari, when he was at Memphis, had collected a group of players who wanted to play for him, who knew they wanted to play for him. And when he was offered the Kentucky job, they said, well, okay, we'll play for you at Kentucky. And so they got to be, they got off started with the Elite Eight, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins team, and it's been rolling ever since. But it doesn't happen for anybody overnight. It ha- it takes it takes time. Some programs move faster than others because what's in place is more attractive and more proficient. But that ship sailed on Indiana when Thomas Bryant and no no judgment here at OG Ananobi. Hey, they decided it was time to go pro. James Blackman, no judgment on that. You know, two at least two of those guys are still in the league. I'm not sure where James is. He's in Italy. So- Yeah, so no one's criticizing them for becoming professionals, but when they decided to leave, the the chance for this to become an instant turnaround was gone. It it was going at that point to take some time. And I I worried when Romeo signed that people would think that it was an automatic deal. And if Romeo were a 40% three-point shooter, maybe it would be, but he's not that guy. He wasn't in high school, and he's not now. And you can't blame his teammates or Arch, or anyone else for the fact he's shooting 20% from three-point range. That's the player he was when he walked in. There hasn't been enough time to change that. Yep. All right, well, let's... uh, Well, we got one question from Twitter here that I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, uh, From Nick. Do you think Indiana makes the tourney, and how many Big Ten teams do you think make the tournament? You know, I, I, I... when the when the projections started coming out a few weeks ago, I told people uh, who were who were saying ten teams and all that. My problem with NCAA tournament projections is that they aren't projections. They are I don't know what the proper word for it is. They are evaluations. If it if the tournament started right now, this is how many we'd have. This is yeah. who would be in. I don't care. I mean, I can't imagine anything I could possibly care less about than who would make the tournament if the season started today. Because there's still eight weeks worth of games. Well, six weeks, six, six seven weeks now. That, that's, a, that, that's an enormous amount of data that still has to get dumped into the system for us to find out who goes. So when people started saying 10 teams, I said, hold on a second. Rutgers is really good. Illinois is really dangerous. Penn State still has a, a puncher's chance. It's, they've have, they haven't really punched anybody but I knew Illinois was going to beat some people. And I knew Rutgers at, at that point that I said it, Rutgers already had beaten Ohio state and caused some trouble there. Um, so I knew that if you look at it, what you need to get that volume of teams, that's over 70% of a, of a, you know, a mega conference in order to do that, you have to have an absolutely compliant bottom. They can't beat anybody that matters. And you still get that many teams in. So I never bought the 10 teams and I don't buy it today. 
And, and I, so I think it'll probably settle around eight, but I, you know, I mean, but it could go either way. It could go to nine. It could, it could shock me and go to 10. It could go down to seven. Um, does Indiana make it if they play better? Uh, you know, I, the Rutgers game, people look at that and think, how do we not win that game? If you're a Hoosiers fan. And I look at it and I think, man, how are you going to win that game? Because the one thing that Rutgers does better than better than a lot of teams in this league, but better than they do anything else themselves, is they punish you physically. They yep. can roll three, four guys when they're healthy through the post, and they just beat you up. And I, I don't mean they're dirty. I just mean they just are huge, and they get you out of the way. And, and Montez Mathis, the wing, is playing better. And Geo Baker, I loved him from the first time I saw him. He was our Iron Man of the Week, our Al Rose Steel Iron Man of the Week on Beyond last night. He's playing great. So it's a very dangerous game. And if you lose that one, you're looking at the, with the losing streak possibly reaching, I believe, eight games because you've got Michigan State behind that. You don't give the Hoosiers much of a chance at Michigan State, huh? <laughs> I'm saying you're looking at the possibility. I'm no, not I, saying it's done, but I if know, you I lose, know. I'm saying that's a, real, that's a real difficult game to win. And you'd already have seven in the bank. And so, you know, what, I, you, there's one more thing that you asked about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, and when you asked about the things they can change, and there's one thing that the players who are on the floor can change, and that is they have to play with confidence. Even if they're limited, they have to play with confidence. And that's something they have not done for about the last, probably since Nebraska. I don't know exactly where in the Nebraska game it went off the rails, but the first got, play of the game, that, that game was a disaster from the start. Yeah. So it was really, it, it was really the Maryland game after they started out pretty well against Maryland. And then it kind of, but I don't, I, I don't, I didn't, I, I didn't think they gave up on that game. It was just, you know, they got overrun because Maryland's yeah. they were on the road and maybe they got a little worn down again, huge team with Bruno Fernando and Jalen Smith. And they had trouble matching up, but look at that team and what they were doing at that point on the road. So they still have it in them. Yeah. But they're not getting there with, you know, you watch the first, I don't know what, five, seven possessions against against Michigan, defensive possessions before the first TV timeout. And they, I mean, they're not, that's what it looks like when you play with zero confidence. Mm-hmm. And and that's, and, and you know, I, I understood the reaction going into that timeout um, because it was from the crowd, because it, that those four minutes were really bad. I was surprised at halftime because I thought that they recovered a little bit um, and at least played basketball for the last 15 to 12 to 15 minutes. I was a little surprised by the fact that they left the, the floor um, and, and were uh, handled the way that they were. Uh, I was I was surprised at that. But so, you know, that goes into, you know, what you know, that, that's another factor. And what you can do as a fan is, you know, you can be on their side um, because believe me, a home court advantage means a ton in this league. This is the best attended league in college basketball for at least 25 years running. So when you go to Iowa or you go to Minnesota or you go to Breslin or, or Mackey, you know, those teams, they're 100 percent on, the, on their fans. Uh, the fans are 100 percent on their team side. Um, and, and that's why it's difficult to get a road win in this league. Yep. You watch when, when they go to Rutgers, what the, the, the Rutgers fans will be totally energized. Now they've, they've waited for this for a long time to just be relevant and they are relevant now they're not great yet they're not even i'm not even sure i'd describe them as good but they're relevant now and their fans will respond that way yep 
We're going to preview that game here coming up in a few minutes. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit of Big Ten here. Um, let's, we'll start with the power rankings. I have to assume the top three, Michigan, Michigan State in some order, probably Purdue third. And then it's kind of who you got between Wisconsin and Maryland after that, I would think. Well, you know, I'm not sure yet what, what to think. I mean, I, it, this is, again, goes back to what am I? Am I ranking the Big Ten on the Big Ten season or am I ranking the Big Ten on the season? Because I don't know if I'd still go to Purdue at three if we're going all the way back to November seventh. You know, I, those six losses still count. Yeah, and they weren't they weren't bad losses, but the losses still count. So I'm, you know, I, I still look at it as a season ranking. I mean, you can look at the Big Ten standings and see what the standings are. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out that carrot for Purdue, and I'm gonna keep Maryland in that third spot uh, because I, I you know. The Illinois game was bad. You know, they got they got handled by a team that, again, I mentioned they were dangerous. They've got a lot of good players. The record is terrible because they overscheduled monstrously. Uh, but they've got good players, and Maryland did not react well to it. They're three wings, Morcel, Ayala, um, and uh, Wiggins, combined for 12 turnovers out of the team's 21. So that that was bad. So – I'm I'm giving you the reason why I shouldn't rank them number three, but I'm going to hang on to it for another week and see if they get themselves back. And then I think at that point, Purdue's an easy four with the wins they put up lately. They've played great basketball. And if we were ranking again on current form, uh, they'd be pushing Michigan for number two because they've played beautiful basketball. One thing I did want to note, I'm glad uh, Kent and Jamie uh, pointed this out in our chat. Some of the kind of the murmurs after the first time out in the Indiana Michigan game, I think, was the fans against the team. I think at halftime, it was more about the the no call right before the half ended, and that's what and that's what you saw Archie really mad. I think the fans at okay. that point, I think it was more about the call than the team there. And please, uh, uh, my apologies for that. I'm I was I was on my way to Chicago and my flight was delayed, so I had to watch on my phone and I did not see who it was directed at. So I apologize to the fans of Assembly Hall. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm serious. I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm judging them harshly. Um, you know, legit. I, I, it's that that was what it came over to me, and and because they had done it into half time, into into the first time out. And again, I didn't have a problem with that because yeah. all the only thing I ever really criticize. I mean, I will analyze and say, you know, guys shooting twenty percent. The only thing I ever really criticize a player for is lack of effort or lack of attention. Yeah. Those are the only two things as a, as an analyst I ever really criticize a player for. And they they were lacking both in those first four minutes before that timeout. And to be fair, there was still plenty of lingering frustration at halftime. I host a halftime report. A lot of people were in the chat. There was still some lingering frustration, but well, the boos are probably for the refs. That's not a problem. You know, yeah. going in a chat and saying, you know, we stink or we're mad or whatever, that's fine. Yeah, yell about it to each other and then support yeah, exactly. the team against their rivals. All right, so we we have gone way over on time. So let me – I want to be respectful of your time, but let me ask you well, – Don't uh, worry about me. Well, let me just get, get you know, one more, one more question in, just in terms of kind of around the Big Ten. What should we – you know, who kind of caught your eye and, and what should we be looking forward to here this week? Well, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, Rutgers, that was their first ever week sweep. Of uh, in Big Ten, I believe, and they're, they're, I believe that was their first back-to-back wins. And so, you know, Geo Baker played really well. Montez Mathis had played well in the first of the two wins. Geo played great uh, on the weekend in the Penn State game. So that that certainly caught my eye. You know, I, I thought that uh, uh, that at Purdue, uh, Klein uh, he was he was fantastic. 
was. I, I, I still can't figure out how he does it. I mean, he has a shot that looks like, and it's not an ugly shot, but where he brings it from, how do you repeat that action and make it so accurate? It's just amazing. It's, it's, you know, Reggie Miller's was weird looking, but it was a, you know, it was a, a high release. So it, it you know, it, it didn't go far, but it, it, Zach's goes so far past his, uh, or excuse me, uh, Klein's goes so far past his, his ear and everything. It's just amazing that, that, that he is able to do that. And it's a knuckleball when it comes off. <laughs> there, it's, 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 it's crazy. It is. And, and he, and he, and he was terrific in the Michigan state game yeah. and, and he was really good defensively as well. So, and that's a player that caught my eye and no gel Eastern as well. You know, interesting to me, and this, this goes back to why Michigan state is great. And Cassius Winston is great. There's no Joe Eastern just wore him out in the first half. Did ev- he threw everything he could at him. And Cash winds up with 24 points, 7-11 from the field. I think he had eight assists. He's a great player, man. Yeah, he is. Uh, so he always catches my eye. He's just doing amazing things. He is. All right. Uh, what do you think is the biggest key for Indiana in this Rutgers game? We'll close with that one. Find a way to not get out physical, and you have to make some shots. You're not... You're not beating good teams, and there, and everybody in this league with the you know I, I can't say that Penn State's a good team at this point. At this point, I think they have the I mean they beat Virginia Tech once upon a time. They nearly beat NC State on a neutral floor, so they had the capability to be to play well. But to beat good teams in this league, you have to make some shots, and uh, that's not happening for for Indiana right now. Like I said, I, I I think that they have to seriously consider putting Al in the starting lineup so that when they come out from the jump. They have an offense that can maybe function the way they want it to function because it's not happening right now with the way they're doing it. That three twenty percent shooters on the perimeter—it's just too easy to guard. Yep, Mike DeCourcy from Sporting News BTN. We always appreciate you coming and providing your insight. Hopefully, one of these weeks we'll be able to talk about an IU victory. But that would be good. Thanks, we'll, Jerry. We'll see if it's next week. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. All righty. Uh, coming up here in our final segment, we're going to talk about this Rutgers game. You know, this is always a game that you kind of circle and pen as a win. Be careful doing it because this Rutgers team is playing well and they present some particular matchup problems for the Hoosiers. We'll talk about it next. Stick with us. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our final segment, we dedicate it to preview Indiana's upcoming opponent for that week. This week, it is Rutgers on Wednesday night. Here, as usual, to preview that game, Josh Wilson from the Inside Out pod. Josh, you and I have done this now two weeks in a row. We previewed the Nebraska game, got Indiana fans feeling really good about it, you know, and how you know Indiana was going to be able to come home and get a win. The Hoosiers totally fell flat. Then last week we did it for the Northwestern game and we kind of you know built it up and talked about some reasons why Indiana can go out there and get a win. The Hoosiers even started off that game well. Obviously, we know what happened. So today, <laughs> let's try a little bit bit of a different tact here. And actually, there's not really any strategy here, but I can already tell just from my looking at it and some comments that you made in the chat, neither one of us is feeling particularly optimistic about this Rutgers game. So maybe we'll do a reverse jinx and Indiana will outperform what we give them credit for in the preview. Let's hope, because I don't think this is going to be a real optimistic preview. 
Yeah, uh, not feeling well. Uh, I've thought about it for uh, a few days, and I just I don't just with the, the way they've played, it's going to be tough and, until they prove us otherwise. Yeah, and so there's two things that I think are important to separate out here. One is Indiana, and you know when you've lost six in a row, your offense is struggling, you have no confidence. I mean, that is not a way to go into any Big Ten road game. So, you know, pretty much any team, even if Indiana was going to play Penn State again, I think all Indiana fans would be feeling a little pensive about it because it's like, man, I don't even, you know, the way we're playing, can we beat anybody? The answer is no. Like, Indiana's going to have to play better. But the thing with this game, when I started looking at Rutgers, you know, I'd heard they'd won a couple games and all this, but I started looking into them, and they really are going to present some specific challenges for Indiana. You know, and, and some of the ones that really jumped out to me are... You know, they're really tall. They're six in the country in average height. They've got, you know, a guy who's seven foot, six ten, six ten, six nine, six seven. All of those guys play thirty-five percent or more of minutes. So they're constantly rotating in big guys. They're deep. Uh, they're twentieth in the country in bench minutes. Now they're not deep with great players, but they're just deep. Like they've got a lot of guys who can come in and play and be fresh. That's not good considering Indiana's not very deep and doesn't play a lot of guys. You know, they are inexperienced. But they're starting to kind of build some confidence. And, you know, I thought I was reading up on their win over Penn State, um, an article that Jerry Carino of the Asbury Park Press um, wrote. And he said uh, over after their most recent game, unlike the raucous celebration after Ohio State or Seton Hall last year that presaged subsequent multi-game flops, Rutgers handled Monday's win in business-like button-down fashion. It's a surefire sign of maturity and reason to believe Rutgers will show up ready to play against Indiana. Geo Baker, their guard, echoed that comment. He said, after the Northwestern loss, we came together as a team. We had a players-only deep discussion calling each other out. It's really paying off. Guys are showing how bad we really want it. So, you know, I think Rutgers would be an interesting challenge anytime for Indiana to play them, but it also seems like from a timing perspective, you're kind of catching them at a time when they're feeling particularly good. So there's some other reasons, but some of those kind of top-line reasons, it's a a concerning matchup for the Hoosiers on Wednesday. Uh, Yeah, you know, Rutgers is kind of playing the way um, you'd wish Indiana would play. I watched them play Nebraska at home, and just the way they came out and the intensity and the fire that they played with and just the passion um, is really kind of what I expected to see out of Indiana when they played Michigan. And uh, of course, it was the exact opposite of what happened. But these these guys come to fight. I mean, like you said, they're real deep. They've got ten guys that average double minute or double figures in minutes. Um, they only have two guys that score double figures, but a lot of, there's a lot of contributions across the board. So I, their depth and size is probably going to wear Indiana out. Um, Indiana's going to have to make it a track meet to even have a shot in this game, and I don't know that they can do that. Yeah, I mean that's you know the one area where Rutgers is really bad. And it's the counter of their offensive rebounding because they're a really good offensive rebounding team. They are awful in transition defense. And when I say awful, I mean they are in the first percentile. Like the like the one like they're the worst in the country in transition defense. They give up 1.196 points per possession in transition. They're pretty good as a half court defensive team, but they are terrible in transition. As we've talked about many times on this show, transition offense has been something that Indiana wanted to be good at, but they haven't been good at. It is really hard to see a path to victory for Indiana in this one that does not involve, you know, number one, you got to clean up the defensive glass. Obviously, you got to get those rebounds. And then you have got to push the ball because Indiana's half court offense has been bogged down. And that is the way that you attack Rutgers. So, you know, that that's just something that's going to absolutely have to change for Indiana to have a chance in this one. 
Yeah, and I, I've scratched my head because in a pure statistical, um, if you look at it from that point of view, Indiana shoots the three ball better than Rutgers. They shoot free throws better than Rutgers. They have a better field goal percentage than Rutgers. But you wouldn't be, I mean, you, you couldn't tell it in the way they play. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be, um, I, they have to get out and get easy shots. They have to get Romeo going early. Um, I'm going to be intrigued, like uh, DeCourcy said, if Al is in the starting lineup over McRoberts. I think you have to make a change to, Yep. Get get a spark, but I mean you're gonna have to get out on these guys early because they're gonna be they're gonna be ready to play and you know there's a little momentum in Piscataway right now or East Rutherford or whatever half of the campus that for the first time with. ever since Rutgers has been in the Big Ten really there yeah. is a little bit of momentum there yeah and it's uh, it's scary and Rutgers is always kind of like the Penn State it's you never feel good about a road game there just because that's always like a lullaby game as you call it there's you know there's not much emotion from Indiana for whatever reason. So we'll we'll see how they come out and play. Yeah, you know, the other thing you look at, I think for Indiana to win, you know, they're going to have to to a certain extent kind of follow the formula that Northwestern followed and Northwestern is the most recent team to beat them 3 games ago. You know, it's going to be really hard to make a high percentage of your twos against that much size, especially given the fact that the guys Indiana you know, for the most part, that shoot twos for Indiana, six seven, Juwan Morgan, you know, six four, six five, Romeo Langford, um, you know, you're gonna be going up against guys that are four, five, six inches taller. So Northwestern was twelve for twenty one on twos, but they were nine of twenty two from deep. They're fourteen of seventeen from the line. Both of those have been Achilles heels, but I think that's part of how you beat this Rutgers team. You get out in transition, you make some threes, and you make your free throws. So Indiana's really going to have to do some of those things that they haven't been doing. Northwestern also held Rutgers to an offensive rebounding percentage of 20%, which is well below their season average. So you got to do that. And then, you know, Geo Baker, you want to make him inefficient. He was 4 of 14 from the field, 1 of 5 from deep. Usually when Rutgers wins, he makes two or three threes. When they lose, you know, it's one or zero three-pointers. So whoever is guarding him is, you know, and he's a tall guy. I mean, he's 6'4". All their guys are, are tall, so mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting, you know, for Rob Finnessy, who's a little bit shorter. You know, he's got to make sure that he's able to really beat guys to spots because he's probably not going to be able to, you know, to, to block any shots or challenge shots as well as you'd want him to. But they're, you know, Baker and, and the, the other guard, Montez Mathis, I think is his name. You know, they run a lot of offense through those guys. They're big, like they're, they're, they have big guys, but they're, they don't really post up very well. They're more like, go get offensive rebounds, do some of those things. A lot of the scoring comes from the backcourt. So you've got to make those guys inefficient as well. Um, you know, And as we saw in the Michigan game, Indiana did not at all do a good job of defending wings and, and the backcourt guys. They're going to have to do a much better job of that. I mean, comparing it to how Indiana played recently, they just have to do better in all phases of the game. So trying to, <laughs> trying to pick apart areas where Indiana hasn't been good that they need to improve in everything. Um, you know, are, are there any other places that you see, like if Indiana comes out and plays just reasonably well with, you know, like all the, all the stuff, like they got to be focused, they got to play hard, all that stuff. Are there any other areas that you see that Indiana has an advantage in this game? Uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, outside of the, of the, the shooting, which I don't know how that can make you feel good as an IU fan right now that they shoot the ball better in Rutgers. I mean, this is going to be like a a six o'clock tip for a JV game on a Friday night, you know, between class A schools in the state of Indiana. <laughs> I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be ugly. I mean, unless somebody gets hot. So, um, and that, that very well may happen. Uh, you know, the Hoosiers have actually had some good uh, shooting performances in that gym. You, know, you think Yogi Ferrell or Colin Hartman, uh, the 2016 season. So, I mean, it, it, it's very, very plausible. And, and I've never been to 
the rack as they call it, but uh, just from the makeup, from seeing it on TV, it looks like it'd be a good shooter's gym. But, I mean, they're going to have to shoot the ball well, and they're going to have to be able to score um, with pace and, you know, quickly because if this defense gets set, they have no advantages um, on, on you know, in a size you know, point of view. And they, they, there's no way that they can attack the paint relentlessly against this team because, you know, they're going to get their shots blocked and you know, it's going to be very tough for them to score in a set piece. And, you know, the, the nice thing is, I mean, look, we're, we're really talking of Rutgers here and it sounds like they're Michigan State. They're not. They're really bad no. offensively. Yeah. And so, they're you know, good. the one thing is they're not going to be able to run away and hide from Indiana. And, and I think, you know, Indiana you know, has a chance to be able to build some defensive confidence in this game. You know, Indiana should be able to string together periods of stops against this Rutgers team, as they've done even against good offenses. They're just going to have to score when they do it. The other thing that we don't know that could change things, you know, I, I read you that quote from Geo Baker about how they had that players-only meeting and it kind of got them turned around. And you said they've been playing with fire. And that's, you read about them the last couple games and it's like, you know, they've got this newfound fire and toughness and energy you know, I saw Evan Fitzner posted something on Instagram earlier this week. It was a, you know, like a picture of uh, of all the players, you know, like with their hands up in a huddle. And, you know, something like, you know, we're all we've got or something like that, you know, and like Juwan Morgan liked it and or commented on it and Drawn Davis liked it. Like, you know, who knows? Like maybe if something in the in these last few days have gotten the team to rally together and they just come out with a spirited effort. You know, Indiana is not deeper or bigger, but they still overall have more talent because Juwan Morgan and Romeo Langford are by far better than any individual player that, Rutger ha- that Rutgers has. So if other guys can step up, make some shots, you've got energy, you know, guys like, you know, Fitzner and Clifton Moore, because, you know, the big guys are going to have to play more in this game just because of Rutgers size. If those guys come in and give you some energy and, you know, you're diving on the floor for loose balls, that's the way that, you know, if Indiana can neutralize that part of what Rutgers has been doing, and you just make it a man-for-man game, even though they're bigger, I still think we have better players. But we've got to get to the point where it's, you know, all that other stuff is at least even. You know, we're not giving up in the hustle and giving up and all that stuff. And that's what we don't know. You know, I'm just, I keep hoping for that game where we come out and it's like, there it is. Now this this team is fighting. This team is playing together. And sometimes it takes a meeting like what Geo Baker said, you know? So good for them for being able to do that. Where's ours? <laughs> you right. know, because we need that spark as a team. Yeah. And I've been on both sides of the fence, you know, uh, from a fan perspective, you know, at this point, talk is cheap. Um, you, you're, you're not all you have. If you, the way that crowd was in Assembly Hall against Michigan, that place was fired up. That yeah. was vintage Assembly Hall. It really was. And they did everything they could just to get that team you know, off its behind. But, uh, you know, from a, a former player perspective, you know, you have one of those meetings. Look, we are all that we have. Now let's go out. Let's play like it. You know, we're not losing. Like Jawan or whoever it is, we're not. We are not going to lose this way. I'm not going to let us lose because he he is that type of player and he can have those type of performances. He did it last year. Um, somebody's got to go out and grab somebody by the shirt and say, "Hey, we're not going. We're not going this way." So it's follow my lead and we're going. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Yeah, a couple of the numbers I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, Rutgers is 35th overall in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency, so they're strong defensively. They're 12th overall in conference play, but that number's a little misleading because they had some really bad games against Michigan State, Purdue, I think Minnesota, that kind of drove the overall number up. 
but they gave up less than one point per possession to Northwestern, Nebraska, and Penn State, all the teams who, whose offenses are a little bit more similar to Indiana's right now in terms of numbers. So that's probably more comparable to what Indiana will do than what Michigan State and Purdue did, who have elite offenses right now. And then from an offensive perspective, they're 214th overall in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're 29th in offensive rebounding percentage. It's the one thing they do well. They're sub-200 in effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, free throw rate, you know, all the stuff that you mentioned, Josh. And the thing to remember about Baker, you know, he plays a lot of minutes. He's going to use a lot of possessions. He shoots 36% from three and 36% from two. So Indiana's been, you know, we know the pack line at times will give up some open looks, you know, because of overhelping. I think you've got to run him off the three-point line, you know, make mm-hmm. him a driver, make him drive and try to pull up mid-range or, uh, you know, or at least, you know, try to score down low. Even if he's able to drive in and score, you know, he's hasn't been great at converting. You'd rather have him shooting a decent percentage, you know, from two than just, you know, filling up and getting hot from three-point range. So I think how Indiana guards him will also be interesting to see. Yeah, I'll be curious to see who matches up with him because, like, he's he's the only guy that plays over 30 minutes a game. He plays a little over 34 minutes a game. Second closest is the Eugene Omorui, um, who happens to lead the team in scoring. He plays 27 minutes, and then and he comes uh, off pretty, the bench, I think, too, doesn't he? I I can't remember if he starts or if the um, that Dorson he, he's Dorson's their seven footer. I can't remember if he yeah. starts or the Eugene starts, but they're they're both big dudes. I mean, they're not they're not like skinny like Clifton Moore they're pretty well built so yeah um, and then I, I have here in my notes that uh, uh kind of a a player to watch is Peter Kiss uh in the game that I watched them beat Nebraska he reminded me so much of Will Sheehy so hopefully he doesn't tick me off in a couple nights oh boy <laughs> but yeah he, he he seemed like that type of player so so look it's a huge spot for Indiana you don't need us to tell you how important this game is but I would just caution you about looking at it and saying, oh, this is Rutgers and thinking this is some kind of automatic victory and Indiana should walk in there and get right. Like this is going to be a tough win. If Indiana grinds out a one point win at Rutgers, it's awesome. You know, I mean, any win right now when you've lost six in a row is good, but Rutgers is playing pretty well and they're a really tough matchup for the guys Indiana has available. So it's going to be impressive if Indiana goes in there and gets a win. And I think it's the kind of thing that could give them confidence you know, propel them forward and just something good to happen. Because, no, they're probably not going to win at Michigan State. So you really, really got to get this victory. Um, It's obviously possible, you know, Indiana can go do it. But my gut feeling right now is I'm feeling kind of pessimistic about it. I'll talk myself into it by Wednesday. But with the sobriety of a couple days before that game, just being totally honest, this is is a tough one. So It is. I've... um... You know, I said in the chat that, you know, Rutgers by 12, I've, I've just felt like, you know, I don't, I don't feel that bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was before I really studied some of their offensive numbers and just how terrible they were at shooting. I mean, they shot the ball pretty, from, from what I watched against Nebraska, they seemed to shoot the ball pretty well. But when, you know, you're playing at home, you got the crowd behind you, that the adrenaline kicks in. Um, so will it be double digits? Uh, geez, I hope not. That would be the low of low for Indiana this year, I would think, but. I mean, until Indiana comes out and shows us some just anything, any signs of life, I don't, I don't feel comfortable in saying I don't. And you know, I just don't think they can win right now. And until they prove otherwise, yeah, I want them to prove me wrong. So, um, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, if Rutgers comes out hot, and then Indiana. I, it, look, there's probably going to be a moment in this game. It's all right, put up or shut up. Is Indiana going to respond to a punch in the mouth, or are they going to fold? 
and we're going to find that out because it, it's probably going to happen. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what this team's talked about over the past couple of days. All right. It's a good note to end on. What's uh, What do you have going on the Inside Out pod that people should go listen to? Yeah, uh, the last episode I did um, was Saturday before I went over to check out Coach Tonsoni and his Western Panthers absolutely wreck Twin Lakes. <laughs> so that was a great basketball game. Yeah, he, they, uh, they played really well. But uh, I, I really talked maybe about uh, expectations, and uh, just kind of how we should look at this season and, you know, really what this roster and this team's about. And I, I'll probably, depending on how, I might do a, a little bit of a Rutgers preview and may talk about Coach Tensoni's Western Panthers. And then obviously the Pacers got a big game tonight. So it, it's all Indiana basketball uh, right now. And hopefully um, I can talk myself into feeling a little bit better about the IU game on Wednesday. But uh, we'll see. Hey, the best part about this preview, again, is we've spent the last two talking about why Indiana would win. And this one, we have no confidence. So if Indiana follows suit, they'll you know they'll win by 15 and we'll be like oh all right another preview that we need to go delete from the archives because it was terrible (laughs) yeah but that's how we see it right now this is our best guess now we'll get to go actually watch the game and see how the hoosiers do and hopefully they prove us wrong all righty that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of banner monday if you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat join us at assemblycall.com on monday afternoons for the live broadcast of our banner monday recording you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call wherever you listen to podcasts and remember to go to assemblycall.com or text iu to 66866 to join our free email newsletter which will make you a smarter and more well-informed iu basketball fan thank you for listening we will talk to you wednesday night after iu Rutgers. until then keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go hoosiers thank everybody for coming out all right i gotta get out of here folks thank you thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the assembly call we appreciate it And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.